There we go. Okay, so this morning, right now, this morning, <laughs> we begin to go places we've never gone before with God. This morning, right now, we are launching this fall to go places, you and I, all of us corporately, to go places with God we've never been before. Now, we're not going on a journey, okay? So let's just put that aside. I'm so tired of the I'm on a spiritual journey talk. I can't stand that language anymore. Um, I don't, what does that even mean anyway? What does it mean to be on a spiritual journey? Uh, if you're on a spiritual journey and that's the way you think about life, if that's the way you conceptualize it, uh, I might be the first one to tell you, and I do so, um, I do so because I want to help you. If you're on a spiritual journey, I'm probably the first one that's going to tell you this. You're lost. Um, the Christian life for you has become a mystical mess. And you go from one spiritual technique to another spiritual secret to another narrative of experience to one more medieval spiritual discipline. And the Christian life is a mystical mess. This morning, we're going places with God we've never been before. We're not doing discipleship material from Judges and Galatians. Uh, we're not doing a character study of Gideon. We're not going to do leadership techniques from Deborah. And we're not going to do biblical principles for dating from Samson. <laughs> he knows Samson. <laughs> we're not going to do the social justice of Jael. <laughs> I couldn't wait to say this. Do you know what Jael does? She takes a peg, a spike and puts it through the throat of her enemy while acting married with him. Oh, you didn't see that one coming, did you? Are you tired of the super saint Christianity? Are you tired of the spiritual hype Christianity? I might be the first one to tell you, if you're on the spiritual hype treadmill, if you're on the super saint treadmill, I might be the first one, but I do because I want to help you. You can't do it. If this is you, the Christian life has become for you a mechanical mess. Plug and play. Program and how-to. Biblical principle and applying eternal truth to your life. How to fix this, how to recover that, 10 steps to be delivered, how to be a good leader, how to be a good parent, how to grow, God, get, grow kids God's way. The Christian life is a mechanical mess. This morning, right now, we begin to go places with God we've never been before. What if I told you that your greatest need is to go places with God you've never been before? What if I told you that your greatest need this morning, your greatest need in your relationship, 
your greatest need in whatever situation in life circumstance you're facing right now? What if I told you the greatest need of the culture, the greatest need of the church, is for God to be more clear to your mind and more real to your heart? What if that was normal Christianity? What if the Bible tells you that individual lives collapse, families collapse, relationships collapse, countries collapse, cultures collapse, institutions collapse, wherever there is no God being clear to the mind and real to the heart? What if this was how life works? What if Christianity is the only religion, the only belief system, the only system that makes an attempt to make meaning of life? The only philosophy, the only theology, the only doctrine, the only dogma, the only education, whatever you want to call it. What if Christianity is the only religion whose founder connects with you by speaking to you? By speaking you back to life. Every Sunday. Not once a week. Every Sunday. Well, that is once a week. I mean not once in a while. What if that is normal Christianity? This morning, right now, we begin to go places with God we've never been before, and it's going to start with doing something we've never done before in the 20-year or whatever it is now, history of Redeemer. Redeemer, for those who don't know, is a church plant. My wife and I came here from Dallas. Uh, they dropped us in by a parachute. And they said, hey, man, you got two years. Hope it works. I, I guess it's sort of working right now. Here's what we're going to do. What are we going to do that we've never done before? We're going to preach through two books of the Bible at the same time. Boom. <laughs> it's not because I'm bored with one book of the Bible. We're going to do two simultaneously. One week, one, one week, the other. <laughs> what are the two books? Judges and Galatians. I know you were thinking that those were the two books you would pair together if you were to preach two books of the Bible simultaneously at the same time during the fall, right? Here's what's going to happen. We're going to continue. What's going to happen to you and I as we look at these two books is going to be going places with God we've never been before. When we're in Judges, we're going to ask this. When you're in Judges, you're going to ask this. You're going to leave here because you just got an experience of it with Jael. You're going to ask, what in the world is this doing in the Bible? Guaranteed. Why is this in the Bible? You're going to ask it. And why are you going to ask it? Because Judges is a dysfunctional world. The church is crazy. The culture is crazy. Everybody's crazy. Gosh, that sounds familiar. When we're in Galatians, you're going to ask, why? 
Why haven't I heard this before? Why haven't I heard this before? You're going to feel this is what I have been looking for my whole life. Why are you going to feel this way? Because the book of Galatians, in my opinion, is the clearest picture of what Christianity is. book of Galatians is about healthy Christianity, healthy Christians in a healthy church and churches, plural, genuinely making an impact in the culture, not pretending to make one, not signaling that you're making one, but actually making one. This morning... Right now, we begin to go places with God we've never been before. So let's get started. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. These are selected readings. Judges 1, chapter 1 through 3, 5 is one unit. No, we're not reading that whole thing. So I'm going to give you just a selected piece. So we got Judges 1, 1. Through 1 3, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And notice what Judah does. Oh, yeah, I'm going. Oh, and I'm bringing Simeon with me. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And likewise, I will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So already, at the beginning of the book, Judah will go, uh-huh, and I'm taking my brother. It makes military sense, but it's not what God said. In verse 19, and it makes sense, this makes sense, and the Lord was with Judah still, and he took possession of the hill country, but he couldn't drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. How strange. Eight more times we're told the same thing, that same line. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin didn't drive him out, verse 21. The tribe of Manasseh didn't drive him out, verse 28. The tribe of Ephraim, verse 29. The tribe of Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, Dan, and Joseph. No one drives him out. Now we go to Judges 2.10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose, what generation? This is the Caleb-Joshua uh, generation. Now, and there arose another generation after them, after that generation, who did not know the Lord, which is the time of the judges, or the work that he had done for Israel. Now, did they not know the Lord? I mean, come on. Of course they knew the Lord. Their parents knew the Lord. So what's going on here? Maybe he wasn't clear to their minds or real to their hearts. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Astra. Those are two, two gods. One's the male god, one's the female god. So you do the math. 
So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Now this wraps everything up in 2.16. Then the Lord raised up judges for this time period who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored, that's an interesting word, after other gods and bowed down to them. Is that in Judges? I told you. What in the world is this doing in the Bible? They soon turned aside from the way of which their fathers had walked and who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord as they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity, compassion, mercy by their groaning. We just spent five weeks talking about that deep water of God. We just did that. Go to the website if you didn't see them. Whenever the Lord, where, are, where am I? But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices in their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed the covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive them out before any of the nations that Joshua left behind when he died. In order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their father did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. It means Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a seat. Lord, we ask that you would take us places with you we've never been before. So would you make yourself even more clear to our minds and more real to our hearts by the power? Because it's only by the power of your spirit that this happens. But it happens because of what we're about to look at this morning. It doesn't just happen because we will it to be. Amen. Okay, so here's what you need to know about what we just read. I am, I'm like, I'm a fanatic. I'm a fanatic in the text. And in fact, my wife over and over says, honey, you're spending a little too much time explaining the text. Because I am a fanatic of, I want you to know, I want you to know. So I'm going to do my best not to be too fanatical here. Here's what you need to know about what you just read. This is a two-part introduction, a two-part. So that means there's one part and there's a second part, correct? Good. The first part, verses 1, 1 through 2, 5, 1, 1 to 2, 5, that's the first part of the introduction of Judges. So the second part of the introduction is going to be 2, 5 to 3, 5. Two parts. The first part summarizes the historical events of Judges. So it does a flyover. It goes over and it says, hey, man, Here's what you need to know about the people, the places, the events, the relationships, the real life on the ground during the terrain of Judges. Uh, this time period is immediately after the death of Joshua. This is a 300, 1400 B.C. to 1100 B.C. time frame. The time frame is 50 years more or 50 years longer than the age of the United States which is about 250 right now, right? According to the history. Let's say you were living in the first generation. We're the first generation of those in Judges. The Joshua-Caleb generation would be your parents' generation. You with me? 
And so now, the life of judges is your life, your places, your people, your families, your events, your relationships, your real life. And for the next 300 years, so it'll be your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And then I, I don't know how much longer it goes after that. Part one is history. Here's the facts. Here's the people. Here's the places. Here's the events. Here's the relationships. Here's the real-life boots on the ground. Got it? Okay. Part two of the introduction summarizes, 2.5 to 3.5, summarizes how you're supposed to interpret this history, how you're supposed to see the world. This is absolutely fantastic. Aren't you tired? Wouldn't you love to take a break from so many conflicting voices today trying to tell you how to see the world? Science is trying to tell us how to see the world. The state's trying to tell us how to see the world. Social theory is trying to tell us how to see the world. The media is trying to tell us how to see the world. Corporations are trying to tell us how to see the world. The school you go to is trying to tell you how to see the world. The second part of the introduction is trying to tell you and me. It's giving us a heavenly lens. And it's saying here, because you, unaided by God's word, unaided, we're going to look at this 300 years, and we're going to look at the people, and we're going to look at the places, and we're going to look at the relationships, and we're going to look at the real life, and we're going to look at it and get it wrong. Wow, that's what's going on? Wait, that's the truth? Wait, Disney World, truth. Disney World, truth. Disney World, truth. Wouldn't you like that to happen today? Part two is telling us the truth about the world of the judges. So part two is God saying to you and me right now, relax, <laughs> listen to me, I'll tell you the truth. If you are struggling to know what is true, if you are struggling to know, am I like watching a scene from Black Mirror? Twilight Zone, for those of us that are a little older? The answer is yes. Hear the truth. God will tell you the truth. In fact, Jesus says, I am the truth. So, what happens? Are you with me? That, that's my explanation, honey. Was that too long? Nope. Fantastic. It's done. Now, what happens when you combine part one and part two? What happens when you combine the history with the message of the history? The history with the interpretation of the history. What happens? What's the big idea? What's the point? Why is it in the Bible? Why is Judges, this introduction, mentioned? Why is it even here? Here's the answer. Are you ready? 
you're a parent, you're going to love this. The parents did all the hard work. Do you see this? The Joshua-Caleb generation, the first generation to the promised land, did 90% of the work, did 90% of the conquering, 90% of the victory. In other words, by the time Judges comes in, by the time you and I come in, if we're the first generation, by the time we come in, our children come in, the grand, our grandchildren come in, 90% of the work is done. There's only 10% of the promised land yet to be achieved, yet to be accomplished, yet to be finished. 90% is done. 90% of milk and honey is experienced. 90% of victory. 90% of the work, it's done. All that's left to be done by the first generation in Judges, all that's left to be done by their children, all that's left to be done by their grandchildren, all that's left to be done by you and me is 10%. God does his part for 90%. You do your part for the 10%. so hard about that. God does his part. You do your part. This is why you're so anxious. You believe, and I believe, deep in our bones, it kind of is already there. It's like we were born with it. We can't shake it. It's actually in our nature. It's almost like in our own genes and in our DNA, and we just can't get rid of it. God does his part. I do my part. This is why you're distressed. This is why you're depressed. God does his part, the 90%. I do my part, the 10%. This is why you're so confused about Christianity. This is why we're so confused about the Christian life. This is why there are so many viewpoints, so many views, so many theologies, so many schemes, so many strategies, so many traditions on the Christian life. Everybody's dividing up the God part, you part stuff. I challenge you, anyone, I mean, you theologians that are out there, I know you're here, I challenge you to come to me and bring me a scheme of the Christian life that does not fit into this matrix. Challenge you. You got all the church history. I'm, <laughs> I just thought of this about where we were coming over the football game yesterday, and we're driving down chapel. Did anybody else see this? And it, was it one of y'all? Some college student standing out there in his tidy whities with a sign saying, I lost in fantasy football. It was beautiful. I'm willing to do something like that. If you can bring to me a strategy, a view of the Christian life right now that doesn't fit this matrix. It was so awesome. The dude was just dying. I loved it. God does his part, you do your part. 
This is the struggle under all your struggles. Now, there's a summarization of the struggles of the, of the, uh, the Israelites. What is their struggle? They, they have the 10% of the Canaanites still in the land, right? And so how do they deal with these 10%ers, right? Well, what do they do? Well, they do two things in the text that we just read. They either compromise with the evil, compromise with the sin, right? This is what we do. We either give in to the gods of the Canaanites, the idols that promise us, I'll save you, I'll love you, I'll forgive you, I'll get you a girlfriend. We either compromise, right? Or we try to control them. Isn't it so interesting that several of the tribes enslaved the 10%? That's what happens. We, we try to control the evil in our life. We try to control the sin in our life. And it just makes everything worse. We become metallic. We become toxic. We become self-righteous. We hurt other people. We say untrue and unkind things about other people. We cancel them because we're trying to control them. Do you see this? So here we got, we got the Israelites. They have a problem. It's called the 10% of the Canaanites in the land. They either compromise with them or they try to control them. That's what happens in the history that we just read. But God does his part, you do your part, actually explains the struggle underneath that struggle. What are you talking about, Jeff? Well, in part two, it says this, and there arose another generation, generations after Caleb and Joshua, there arose a generation that did not know the Lord or what? The work he had done. In other words, the struggle under all the struggles of our life, according to God, is you don't believe the gospel. You don't believe he did 100% of the work. You don't have that clear in your mind and real in your heart. But I, I, I'm a Christian, Jeff. I'm a Christian. I, of course I believe that. Yeah, I know. We all believe this at one level and don't at far deeper levels. And that's why at far deeper levels, the gospel must go to the unreached areas of your life. You're all saying, but what is my job? What's my part? What do I do? That's what you do. You believe what God has done that that's actually holiness. That's actually the fruit of the Spirit. That's actually growing in the Christian life. Believing what God has done in this area, in that area of your life, at this place and against that sin, in this hard relationship, when someone sins against you, that's the Christian life. So the 300 years of Judges' generations failed to do the 10%, not because they failed to do their part, but because they failed to trust in God's part, according to this text. And their part was to trust in God's part. 
They didn't believe or trust in God. They didn't believe and trust in God's work. They didn't believe and trust in God's victory. They didn't believe and trust in God's conquering. They didn't believe and trust that God's the mover. They didn't believe and trust in God's the primary actor. They didn't believe in a completed salvation by God. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So, here's the point. There is no your part. You don't have a part. I don't have a part. And that's the point. And when you believe that, it changes everything. I don't know, Jeff, you're thinking, I know it. I don't know, Jeff, I mean, this sounds too good to be true. There must be something I do. The book of Judges literally begins with a question. Did you see that in verse 1? It literally begins with a question. It's the question of the whole book. In fact, it's the question of the whole Bible. It's the question of the whole Old Testament. In fact, it's the question for the people, the places, the events, the relationships, the real life for the 300 years of Judges. It's the question for your life. It's the question for my life. It's the question for our relationships. It's the question for our culture. It's the question for countries. It's the question for societies. And here it is. You ready? After the death of Joshua, verse 1, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up for us? Who will fight for us? Who will win the promised land? Today we say things like, who will justify us? Who will give us a perfection and a righteousness and an acceptance? Who will love us? Who will make us belong? Who will forgive our sins? Who will take us home? Who will be our refuge? Who will be our rock? Who will be our strength? Who will be our courage? Who will be our bravery? Who will be the fruit of the Spirit in our life? Who will go up for us? Who will fight for us? Who will change us and change our relationships? Who will sanctify us? After part one gives the 300-year history of the judges, do you see this? It's a history of what? Failure after failure after failure. That's why the, all the tribes are listed. Right? They didn't do it. They failed to do it. They couldn't do it. They didn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Tribe after tribe is unable to go up. Tribe after tribe is unable to fight for themselves. Tribe after tribe is not able to achieve the 10%. Tribe after tribe is not able to accomplish the 10%. Tribe after tribe is not able to do the 10%. Who will go up for us? Who will fight for us? And the answer right here at the beginning of the book of Judges is the same answer Paul gives in Romans. Not me. And then at the end of this introduction, we get this strange, this strange, I don't know, information? I don't know what it is. Just listen to it. Listen to it. Are you ready? Here it goes. Now, 
Remember the question is, who will go up for us? Who will go up? Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Boshan. The angel of the Lord went up the whole promised land. Who who will go up for you? Who will fight for you? Who will work in your life? Who will justify you? Who will accept you? Who will love you? Who will forgive you? Who will give you strength right now? Who will help you see the world and see yourself and see people rightly? Who? Answer, not you. message right at the beginning of Judges and we're just getting started is not me but God Jesus has done it for you he's done 100% of the salvation 100% that's why I say it over and over again a comprehensive salvation that means you know if you're a Christian that means your Christian life I don't know where I'm going to obey I don't have this yeah of course you don't you can't even do the 10% Jesus accomplishes your obedience. That's why you obey it all, because he accomplishes it. The reason why we get our minds renewed and we have thinking that's clear about God is because Jesus accomplished it. The reason why we even feel something in our heart, like even some sense of love for him, is because Jesus accomplished it. The reason why we have any faith at all and the reason why we even learn to love each other and do community and participate in church is because Jesus accomplished it finished, it's over, it's done. There is no such thing as a 10%. There's no such thing as a work outside somewhere still needing to be done by you and me. That's a lie. That's a false gospel. There is only... Jesus, who will go up for you? God says, I will. And Jesus said, I'll get her done. I'll get her done.